I want to read the scripture with you before the sermon today. And as Eric said, this is the final sermon and psalm in this series. We have certainly not read or considered all the psalms. There are 150 of them. But I'll just tell you real quickly before we start reading that when I first moved to St. Louis, I was super lonely and super at loose ends because I had retired and had zero idea what I was doing. So I decided I would start reading the Psalms one a day. And I read them twice through during the year 2017. It changed my life. Just read them. Didn't do any study, didn't do anything highbrow, just read the Psalms one a day. I recommend it. The Psalm for today is Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord for at his command they were created And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will not, never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures. And all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, Wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth. Young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Do you know where you're eating on Thursday? Thanksgiving, you know. Thanksgiving. Isn't that amazing? It's Thanksgiving nearly. Every year people go like, what happened to the time? Well, it just flowed right on by. Well, you know, there's Thanksgiving, and then not long after that, Hanukkah, of course, and then not too long after that, Christmas, and then Kwanzaa, and, you know, then the the year is all rolling again. They tell us this is the happy time of year. But you and I know that's not always the case. For the past several weeks, we here in worship have been exploring the fact that we don't always feel happy. And we've been looking at how God's Word can help us to pray our emotions. We've looked at several emotions, and I won't read them all. You can read them. Grief, shame, anxiety. Now, I'm not a big drinker. And I don't do recreational drugs. But just looking at that list makes me want to say, pass the chocolate, please. (laughs) You know, I'm going to have to have something. But, you know, I know better. And you do too. Because as I thought about it, it occurs to me that 
loading up on emotional painkillers, whatever your pleasure, is like chasing the wind, like looking for relief in all the wrong places. And as we come to the end of this psalm series and look toward the celebrating season, I just think it would be wonderful if we could stop grabbing after happiness and choose instead joy. Because I really think that's what everyone wants, whether they have that word in their minds or not. We want something deep, and we want something lasting, and that's joy. I don't want to high, I don't want to giggle, I want something deep and lasting, joy. God's Word doesn't say, with apologies to the 1980s and Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. God's Word says, don't be defeated, rejoice. Joy, deep and lasting peace and pleasure is God's will for us and His gift to us. Joy is the birthright of every human being. Get that in your mind. No one deserves to be miserable. I don't care what he or she has done. I don't care what they have done. Joy is the birthright of every human being. How do I know? Well, it's just logical. Think about this. Think of it in, you know, logic. Every human being, alive now or ever, is created in the image of God, right? Well, and we know from his word that God experiences joy. He says so. He says he found joy in his creation. It is very good. He finds joy in human beings, and especially when we come to him. The angels in heaven rejoice when one person turns to the Lord. And, of course, he especially finds joy in his son, Jesus Christ. You may remember at the baptism and the transfiguration, we hear the voice from God the Father in heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, the original languages could just as easily have been translated, in whom I find great joy. Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, enjoying. They are enjoyed together. Nowhere in his written word does God deny anything in creation the right to joy. Therefore, this is a logical conclusion, just like the one in whose image we were created who experiences joy, every human being has the right to experience joy. So why don't we? Why are our lives so joyless that we have to constantly console ourselves? Why don't we experience joy if we're made in God's image? Well, the answer is simple and it's sad. You know the answer, whether you use the same words as I would use or not. We don't naturally experience joy because as we are naturally born, we no longer bear the unblemished image of God. We are born in sin. It's like one of those fairy tales where the the newborn baby is cursed by the wicked witch or the ugly stepmother and the newborn baby is cursed and then the curse spreads to the whole land and it paralyzes everything, it distorts everything, it silences all the joy and the beauty and the life. 
our world and everything in it is cursed with sin. And we are bound by sin in the bondage of death. And so we can't look up naturally. We can't even barely look around. We just, as Shakespeare says, are just crawling between earth and heaven, shriveling in on ourselves, lowering with every step. God's great gift of joy has been shattered and shadowed over by sin. And so we resent God because he could make things better, we believe, but he doesn't always. And he doesn't explain. And so life becomes a burden and not a blessing, and we become ungrateful. Slowly but inevitably, and this was, I I just realized this this week and it really stunned me. Because we suffer and because we resent God and because we become ungrateful, we inevitably become idolaters. We serve and submit to our circumstances. We're worshiping our circumstances, even when we hate them. Sin makes us defensive. It makes us constantly protecting ourselves and trying to project an image larger than life. It just seems pointless to pray. So we just kind of pull away from communicating with God. How much time do we spend communicating with God? Think about it. And of course, we don't praise him. Why would we? Apart from the grace of God, that is where we find ourselves. Unable to escape our body of death, our culture of death, with death always looming over us, All creation seems to hold its breath wanting some kind of release. Don't you feel that? And we cry out in our spirits, in the words of the Apostle Paul, what a wretched being I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can ever remove the curse? And set things right. And then it happens. A sudden piercing grace. When we could not free ourselves. When we knew we could not free ourselves. At just the right time. When we were still powerless, the Apostle Paul writes. When we were powerless, God came to set us free. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't even have the sense to ask for it. We didn't, it could not imagine. People could not imagine that was the way it was going to work. What? A Messiah would come and die for people? That didn't even make sense. But that's what happened. And then, as the disciples thought, well, gosh, we thought something was going to happen here and nothing's happened. It's worse than we thought. They're going home. They're too grief-stricken to eat. I can't imagine what the Virgin Mary must have thought, having been there at the foot of the cross and seeing her son die. And they go home, and they're beginning to grieve. And no one saw the next thing coming. 
because the stone was rolled away and the grave was opened. And God is walking the face of the earth alive once more and forever. Absolute defeat is flipped upside down into the glorious victory of the mighty hero of grace. St. Paul answers his own question, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes on to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now see, we hear that and we're just still sitting here. I'm not scolding you, I'm just telling you. You know, when I was young, back in dinosaur days, and I went to Woodstock, and I went to see Jimi Hendrix, and I went to see The Who, buddy, you were up and shouting. And it wasn't nothing but trash. I mean, good music, but trash. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not scolding you because I'm not a demonstrative person either. I was probably sitting there, you know, thinking, oh, gosh, when's this going to be over? Yeah, I'm bored to tears. But, you know, really, I'm not saying God demands a particular kind of praise. I'm just saying, doesn't that do anything for you? You know, back in the old days, you had to push the clutch in, you know, to get the, the motor going. You know, come on. Because I think here's the missing link, though. Here's, here's why I think we don't kind of get it. What does Jesus' death and resurrection have to do with my joy? I think, I think maybe we need to make that connection. Well, here's the connection. If you believe that the blessings of Jesus' death and resurrection benefit you, if you believe that Jesus actually came back and died in your place, and then defeated death to restore the image of God in your life and to embrace you into eternal life, mightn't you want to thank him? You know? I have a three-year-old granddaughter that I take care of, and I read a lot of books to her, and I bought a bunch of Thanksgiving books. You'd be surprised at how many Thanksgiving books they make for children that don't mention who we're giving thanks to. You know, well, thank you, Grandma, for the sweet potatoes. You know, thank you, Dad, for the ride over here. You know, thank you for this. No direct object. Whom are we thanking? It's like waiters when you go to a restaurant and they say, enjoy. Enjoy what? What's the direct object? Thank whom? That's the issue. We're not thinking. To give thanks, if you're willing, when you see yourself restored, when you see yourself restored in the image of God, in the glorious light of Jesus' majesty and power, in the words of one psalm, this is Psalm, one, this is, um, psalm 104, doesn't it make you just want to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? You see, all along, while we were mutely suffering, while humanity was mutely suffering, creation was still singing. As Tim Keller says, we're the only ones out of tune. We're the only ones not singing. So the composer of Psalm 148, the psalm I read just as we began today, encourages us to praise. And he lists, in this kind of curious rhetorical catalog device, he lists various types of creation. He doesn't list every person and every creature in creation, but he lists types of creation. Angels and astronomy and animals and weather and Flora and fauna. Praise the Lord, he says. Praise the Lord. Because just as joy is the birthright of every child of God, 
Praise is the first language of all creation. Joy is the birthright of every child of God. Praise is the first language of all creation. God wants us to join the rest of creation in a song of praise. Not because God needs our praise, but because God knows we need to praise. When by the power of the Holy Spirit you and I join in harmony with the rest of creation... We're not denying sorrow and suffering. Now, I want to be clear about this because I've, I've been in religious cultures before where everybody just walked around with a big old plastic smile on their face. It's sickening. Praise is honest. It's not fake. It's not pretending like you're fine and, you know, you got to keep grinning. No. Praise can coexist with sadness and deep grief. Praise is honest. The joy that results from praise doesn't deny the circumstances we're in or the way we're feeling. In fact, think about this, when you praise God for the blessings of Jesus' death and resurrection, you are in effect acknowledging that sorrow and suffering was necessary for you to experience the joy of deliverance. That's Tolkien's phrase. Jesus had to suffer for you and me to praise. And we know that in Psalm 148, it's so weird, by a curious word in the last verse. Look at that word in green there. We've got praise, 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 praise. And then he has raised up for his people a horn. You think, what? It's kind of, well, we just sort of read past it, you know, what that must mean something. But I don't, I don't have the footnotes, but, you know, let's move on. Well, no, let me just give you the footnote right now. In Scripture, horn, a horn, the horn, can symbolize a lot of things. It can symbolize strength, like animals' horns. It can symbolize fertility. It can symbolize blessing. Think about like a cornucopia. But horns also serve a specific function in Scripture. In Scripture, when the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament was told by God to find and anoint the successor to King Saul, Samuel goes and takes a horn full of oil and pours it all over David. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David from then on. Now think Jesus. When you and I call Jesus the Messiah, the word Messiah comes from the Hebrew word mashach, which means to anoint. I found this gorgeous description online. It says, Jesus is the one over whom the horn of God's strength has been lifted high in whom the riches of God's fullness are found, and upon whom the oil of God's Spirit has been poured. When Mary sang the Magnificat in the face of a very unexpected pregnancy, she echoed all of that. She said, My soul rejoices in God my Savior. He has shown strength in His arm. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has filled the hungry with good things. All that echoing imagery. When the angels proclaimed Jesus' birth, they said his birth is good news of great joy. You know that. Jesus himself rejoiced when he suffered in the wilderness. He taught his followers to praise and rejoice. And the early Christians were well known by sociologists of religion as well as by persons who who share their faith for being people of praise and joy. You see, when they were being persecuted and facing, in some cases, their own death, they had an ace. 
They knew Jesus had defeated death. So though they may suffer in their bodies and die in their bodies, the death of the faithful is never forever. Tattoo that somewhere. The death of the faithful is never forever. So no matter how we feel, we should and can always pray. We can always praise. We can always seek the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the sign of the presence of Jesus. Joy. For, in these gorgeous words, the enemy of our joy is defeated forever. And the joy we feel is beyond the walls of the world. Now, I could just say amen right here and stop, but if you'll permit me, I want to close by telling you a story. And I know I'm running long, you know, just look on. <laughs> you're, you're okay. It's going to be all right. Take a deep breath. <laughs> I just want to tell you a story because it's a true story about praise and joy, and it happened to me. A few weeks ago, some longtime friends and I were going down to another part of this state. It's a sort of a vacation spot. And we had planned the trip way early this year when it looked like the virus was waning. It looked like the pandemic was getting better. And we'd spent, frankly, a good bit of money and we'd gone to some trouble to get a condo down there. And so we decided we were all vaccinated. We were going to mask in public, you know, and, and we'd just go and try to enjoy it. And so we did. And a big part of the trip was that we were going to see this production in a genre known as religious drama. Now, I have a degree in drama, and I see plays with that hat on. So, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't enthusiastic about this. <laughs> the theater is well known for really high production values, and they pull it off, and they do really high production values. But I went into the situation just a little bit skeptical and, frankly, a little bit cynical. I'm not crazy about depictions of Jesus in any media. It's never completely appealing to me. And I'm not a person who is appealed to by spectacle. The rah-rah is not for me. So we sat down, five of us, the, probably the five of very few people masked among thousands in the theater. It was a huge place. And I had on my analytical critical hat. I'll, I'll confess it. So the show gets started, and it was pretty much what I expected. That's not to say bad, not at all, but just pretty much what I expected. But not long into the show, and I don't remember exactly what was going on on stage when this happened, this small group of people in front of me began making noise. And I began to notice that every time the actor who was playing Jesus was doing some miracle on stage, you know, enacting a miracle or enacting and speaking the words that are attributed to Jesus, these people were starting to praise God. Like, like they thought this was happening in real life. And at first I just thought, well, these are just unsophisticated people. They're not used to going to the theater. Well, no, seriously, I, I'm not trying to be funny. I was serious. I just thought, you know, I know that back in the Middle Ages when people went to drama and they were illiterate, they thought, you know, gosh, we're, we're right here in the presence of Jesus. Well, that's what these people were acting like. And I thought, what's the deal here? Well, I began to watch and I thought, they're not looking around. They're not like, is everybody watching us? You know, no, they weren't. They were not making a scene to be seen. I mean, I can, you can tell when that's happening. That's not what was happening. They weren't trying to get people's attention. But they were, praise the Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, they were, they were making some noise. And they were worshiping and praising God. And I thought to myself, I don't know. But the show went on. And before I knew it, tears were running down my face. And I thought, what's that all about? Well, I knew what it was about. I've been around long enough to know that was the presence of God. And I was experiencing joy. See, that's the way I experience joy. I don't hoop and holler. I experience joy with tears usually and with a, a quiet kind of a breathless lightness in my heart. It was so wonderful. After the show, I actually tapped one of them on the shoulder and I said, I hope you're not offended, but I'm just going to tell you that your praise meant so much to me. And she just raised her hand up and she said, glory to God. I thought, right back at you, sister. You know, I don't know any other way to explain this except to say that I am very reserved in my religious experience. When I get on stage, I'm a different animal. But in my real life, in real life, <laughs> in real life, I'm not very demonstrative. I'm not very demonstrative. I, I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not inclined toward demonstrative worship. I can tell you a lot of stories about why that's the case, but they don't matter. This incident in the theater happened weeks before Eric asked me to preach today on the subject of praise and joy. But when he asked me, I knew I had to tell you this story. Because it really happened. Because you see, I'm not trying to say that every time you get into a moving situation or you come into worship, you have to start shouting. Not at all. Not at all. What I'm trying to say is, there's power in praise. That's what I'm trying to say. There's power in praise. Because in our praise, God reveals himself to us. When we praise him, God enfolds us in communion with himself. Think about that. No matter where you are, St. Paul in prison, people in immigrant camps, you and me, people suffering in the hospital, Catherine and her parents, don't you believe her parents and her family are praying for her just as we are? God is enfolding her because I know Julie better than I know the rest of the family. And in her spirit, Catherine too are praising God even in the middle of what's going on with them. And so Lord gives us praise. And when you praise, joy will come. It may come as ecstasy and energy, or it may come as a quiet peace and a settled heart. But you may be sure it will come, no matter how you feel. The good news is you are entitled to joy, and you can have it because it is a gift from God. Let us praise the Lord. Amen.